Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show. Joining us for this hour, our host, Tom Dupree, Missy Clifton, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. So this is from an album by a group called The Faces, and I think it might be from the album Long Player. If not, it's from one called The Drinker You Get, The Smarter You Look, or something but that is the vocalist is uh, Rod Stewart. The guitarist is Ronnie Wood, and the keyboardist is a guy named Mac or Ian McLagan. And uh, I'm gonna talk a little bit about that, uh, but I'm gonna read the scripture first. This is, uh, and there's a reason I'm reading this is because they're gonna. I'm gonna play another song by them called Jerusalem. This is from Matthew uh, chapter twenty to twenty three, uh, verses thirty seven through thirty nine. Jesus is speaking over Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophet and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, but you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, for I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth, till you shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Um, all right, I'm going to send you this other one. Honey, hold on. Uh, no, that's not what I wanted it to do. Um, but it'll, it'll have to just be, uh, okay. I'm sending you this. There you go. Now, the faces. Do you want me to play it here in a minute? Yeah, I'll tell you when. I would say they were the more or every bit as much the quintessential English group as the Rolling Stones or the Beatles. With a few things that made it to where they, they didn't last. One of which was Mick Jagger uh, decided he wanted Ronnie Wood to be in his band. It was sort of a left-handed way of telling Keith Richard, you know, you are not enough to carry the whole weight. We got to get a real guitarist, a guy that maybe stays sober more or what have you, you know, to carry the load. So he hired uh, Ronnie Wood. And then Rod Stewart decided that uh, he wanted to pursue a solo career which he did and so some of the guys that were left behind one of which was Ian McClagan um, there's an article on Substack Ian McClagan also known as Mac um, ended up in Austin Texas at the end of his life 
I'm going to read some of what was written. British rock keyboardist extraordinaire Ian McLagan, who lived in Maynard, Texas. That's a suburb of Austin. The last 20 years of his life passed away nine years ago today at age 69. Mac didn't come to the Austin area to retire, but to work and create. He and his band of top flight Austin players held a residency at the Lucky Lounge for 10 years. And when he died, you had to kick yourself for not going every Thursday. When Kim McClagan died in a car accident in August 2006, that was his wife. It hit especially hard because I know how devastated Mac was. This is the guy that played the keyboards in the faces with Rod Stewart and uh, Ronnie Wood. They were so in love. I was at the Statesman when the stupefying news came, assigned to write an obit on the 57-year-old former British model, ex-wife of Keith Moon and doe-eyed princess of swinging London. I've done hundreds of obits on deadline, but this time I couldn't move. How's that obit coming along? An editor came by about after half an hour. No place colder than a newsroom. Eight years later, Maynard's only member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a member of the Faces and Small Faces passed away after suffering a stroke. And I had one part of me saying to get an obit up. I'd interviewed Mac in depth about his career and should let everyone know his keyboards were as important to Rod Stewart and the faces as Johnny Johnson was to Chuck Berry. But I let myself reflect for a while, going for a drive while Facebook and Twitter were blowing it up. I was thinking about how Mac, this member of British rock royalty, was more a musician than a rock star. He was part of the community and not gated off from it. He came here to thump that piano and sing like he and his mates were up to no good. He could break your heart when he sang about Kim, his late wife, date with an angel, but he could also make you forget everything besides needing another beer. He had a tradition to uphold. Mac hustled gigs to pay the bills, good gigs, mind you. And when he'd had enough songs, he made great rollicking albums like 2014's United States, which got great reviews and upped his road work. Mac died the day before he and his band were to embark on a cross-country tour with Nick Lowe. Uh, All right. I'm going to tell you my story. I'm reading from another guy's right now. So I went to Camp Mondamon in 1970. The next year, 71, I went there for six six years, six summers. Next summer, I had a, a counselor named Bill Brody, 1971. Bill Brody was a guy who was a Cincinnati blue blood. Went to Moeller High School played football there and at Miami of Ohio came from an old family in Cincinnati, Irish family lawyers. He decides to join the army in Vietnam and be a green beret because Brody was, if nothing else, a total badass. And he saw the most gruesome of action in Vietnam 
He came back. Chief, who ran Camp Mondamin, who started Camp Mondamin in 1922, liked veterans. He liked uh, the fact that they kind of knew how to handle difficult situations. Like if you were in the woods or on a river or something, the veterans were, you know, they could think straight. And he liked their idiosyncrasies, and Brody had a bunch of them. Uh, he would wake up in the middle of the night yelling, screaming. We'd go over and wake him up, say, Bill, you're not in the NOM now. You know, he thought gooks were climbing all over him. Um, <laughs> when he was bored, sometimes he'd wake us up at uh, midnight or 1 o'clock in the morning and tell us to all get out in the little little street next to not It wasn't a street. It was a path next to the cabin. He'd turn on his stereo system like the Rolling Stones and have us dance. And if he'd shine a flashlight at our feet, and if our feet were touching the ground, we had to do push-ups. It was all in good fun. It was it was not torture. It was everybody was laughing, and you know it was just a hilarious time. But Brody had a great music collection, and he Chief let him have the stereo system in the cabin. And so I got at, at age 14, I went home and bought all the albums that he had. And one of them was long player by the faces. And that was, you just heard a song from, from that. And then I began to do some research about the different people in that band. And I didn't even remember who the keyboard player was, but then in 2000, 14, I look up and they said Ian McClagan, the uh, keyboardist for the faces, is coming to Lexington to play at the Lyric Theater with, he has a band that he's playing with. And they were called the Bump Band or something like that. So I said, I'm going, which I did. <sighs> Went to the concert. I'd been doing this show for. Six years, six and a half. And uh, back then we were doing the show at uh, over at the studio on Nicholasville Road. And I thought after the concert, you know, they were signing albums. I, I went up to him and said, my name's Tom Dupree. I do a radio show here. Would you be around tomorrow morning and come by the studio and let's record an hour of radio. And he said, sure, mate. And I couldn't believe it. So he shows up. And uh, we had, I don't know, you think you could find uh, an interview from back in 2014? Or is that too long ago? Do we, do we still have any of those? I think we've got back to 2018. But. There could it could be somewhere. Oh, I don't know where. I don't know be. when the when um, iHeart started. Yeah. I don't even know who owned iHeart back then. <laughs> it was called was it Clear, Clear Channel. Channel? Yeah. yeah, so it's a different owner. No, it's the same owner. They just changed the name. But anyway, the point is. So what was the interview like? The interview was great, and I said. Um, you know, I asked him, I said, so Mick Jagger had his eyes on Ronnie the whole time, didn't he? He said, yeah. And 
you know, that was kind of a scurrilous SOB thing to do because Mick wanted this guy for his band, but it broke up this other band. And Rod Stewart is, you know, he's a pretty boy prima donna. I mean, he's going to go do his thing. So these other guys were left to kind of fend for themselves. At the end of the interview, I've never done this before, but I kind of sensed that this guy was having to still hustle. I wrote him a check for doing the interview, and we both cried. Got tears in our eyes. It was a way of saying thank you for what you did for me, for what your music did for me. Mac was dead in three months, three weeks. He died of a stroke. I was getting ready to say when you said it was 2014, I thought he died in 2014. He did. This was in November. Wow. He died in three weeks. The other thing that happened was, I don't even know if anybody at the station listens to this show, but the lady that was Lee Cruz's mother used to work out at the front desk. Can't think of her name. But she had been a rocker or followed, you know, music hall. She was, had had obviously a fun adolescence and 20s and 30s. And somehow she recognized this guy and they had this big hug. And I was nearly bawling the whole time. And life gives you these little things every now and then i mean you know this is like my christmas present to you all i mean i don't know what to tell you i i know that i've had certain experiences and you know what's funny as i get older and i'm 67 years old now i think of these experiences during my teenage years that were so formative to who I am as a human, as, as an adult now. And, uh, and a lot of it I've never grown out of, you know, my wife can tell you that. I mean, I, I don't really, I don't know what. We know you, we just, we kind of think about the fact that the, you know, when, when people look at the components of the rock band, if you will, you know, the, the, the well, leads, as in the members, the, yeah, the, the lead singer, you know, the lead singer, the, the, <coughs> the, the main, the main guitarist and the drummer. Maybe. That's called the lead guitarist. Well, I'm, I'm just saying the, the lead guitarist, but th- those are the people that those, those are the, the characters. Those are the people that stand out. I mean, you know, when it's like a basketball team or a hockey team or. Uh, you know, players, they're the stars. They're players. The, the star is not generally speaking <coughs> that organ pianist, the organ player no, of the pianist. No, and that's like, what Mac or Ian uh, McLegan was. And it's, and it's interesting because his, if you listen to his songs, there are some very distinct, um, you know, he has a distinct way of playing. And it, it actually begs the question since you, you're so much more of a, a music aficionado, and I am not. But I started thinking about other not to pianists. be confused with aficionado. Aficionados. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Think about other piano play, rock piano players. Who, yeah. who would you who would you think was the greatest? Elton John. Oh, yeah, I was just to say. I mean, Elton John was kind of a peer of his, wasn't he? Yeah, he, Elton John 
would be more like in the Rod Stewart category, you okay. know, kind of the star. The little Richard, I mean, how about yeah. Little Richard was like a little before yeah. that. Is that right? I guess. There's a guy that played. Billy Joel. Was yeah. Billy, oh, yeah. Billy Joel. There's a guy, Phil Collins. Phil Col- you're right, Phil Collins. There's a guy that plays like Ian McLagan, and he plays with the Rolling Stones sometimes. His name is Chuck Level, L-E-A-V-E-L-L. He lives uh, in Georgia. I think he might have actually played with the Almond Brothers or something. He's got a big uh, quail plantation down there. He's more that, you know, kind of that type of music that goes along with a British rock band. It's it's just a it's it's sort of a, a style. All right. Play that other one because this is another song on that album, and it's a it's an old English song called Jerusalem. So this song is usually performed in some kind of a pomp and ceremonious circumstance with the queen or something. You know, it's a very British song. It's got words in it like, did Jesus Christ. It was the song we sang at our girls' school. Yeah. Every Isn't it the one that says, didn't Christ come to England or something and set his footsteps on? See, that's, that's the kind of reverence for the British... Um, musical heritage that the faces were able to sort of do that in a way and that to me they're more really english than the rolling stones that was a little break from the song we're doing it again because we got to get out of here in a second well i mean you don't have to play it again i mean that's all right go ahead walk upon england's mountains green ian mcclagan he'll always be in my heart for that time we had together. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show with Missy Clifton. We'll be back in just a second with more on the topic.
Hi, I'm Tom Dupree. You've heard me describe bonds as being timely investments lately. Recently, there have been numerous pieces of economic news which may be pointing to a recession. One of them is that credit card use among consumers has declined. Recessions almost always are accompanied by lower interest rates. Lower interest rates mean generally higher bond prices. At many times in the past, the best time to buy things have been when the outlook is unfavorable. For a no-cost, no-obligation examination of your retirement investment portfolio, call the Pre-Financial Group at 859-233-0400. Also, be sure to listen to the Tom Dupree Show Saturday mornings at News Radio 630 WLAP. That's Dupree Financial Group at DupreeFinancial.com. Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show. Joining us for this hour, our host, Tom Dupree, Missy Clifton, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. So that's, once again, Mac McLagan on the uh, keyboard. Of course, Rod Stewart, vocalist. And I'm going to guess that's Ronnie Wood or maybe Ronnie Lane on that slide guitar. It, it might be Ronnie Lane. Anyway, okay. So Missy. explain why we got on the topic of because it was Ian McLaughlin. Because I saw an article somewhere that rolled up. I'm I'm a basically everything you hear me say is something I've seen somewhere. I'm just not smart enough to. I mean, or I don't have enough of an attention span to get beyond stuff I've looked at. 
Well, the article was about the fact that it's been nine yeah, years yeah, since nine years. This, this gentleman passed away. He died in December of 2014. That's part of it. But then again, I thought about, so, and I don't know if this is true of anybody else. I don't know if you guys understand this, but do you have a situation ever where your older memories get stronger than they were when they were closer to when it happened? Yeah, just crickets. No, I'll tell you, my I mean, geez, the thing Lord. about your mind, I, I, Tom, what, you, what is you it? have what? the most vivid why memory can't, Why do I keep remembering is. all these things? Well, look at Tom a while ago on Facebook, on his personal page, recounted probably 20 different stories from his well, life that, that's experience. That's been about three or four years ago. It was a while ago. But the vividness of... And the description of your memories, is, it, it's remarkable. The detail uh, that, why do that I have you that? recall, it's a blessing. It's a gift. Well, why is it a gift? <laughs> I, would, I, I would love I to be able to. I can't get back to those experiences. I, I, I remember jumping off the. But you got the memories, and a lot of people uh, well, don't even I, have I the rem- memories. Yeah, that's true. I remember going to Camp Mondamon for eight weeks, and it would end like in late August because people didn't go back to school until early September. I think he went back to school around the 15th of September and jumping off that tower and the air had stopped feeling like summer. It had, you know, the first thing that happens in the fall when it starts to get to be fall, the humidity goes out of the air before the temperature has even dropped you know it's not that summer humidity anymore it it starts well it gets super cold by seven o'clock at night no well it wasn't getting really cold but it goes down a little bit but the humidity goes away and that's the beginning to me of what fall feels like anyway i don't know why i remember all these things this is my christmas present to you Missy's got a bunch of stuff she wants to talk about. Well, I was going to l- let me add in that you, you add really whatever you want. I have to echo what Elizabeth says. Your memory is rather remarkable. I, I can't remember what I did two days ago, but it's well, like I can't that remember that either. But it's but, but it's the long term stuff. You talk, yeah, you're talking about the long term stuff. It reminded me of a book that I picked up, and I think a lot of people have read. It's called Educated by Tara Westover. She's talking about this very strange upbringing that she had, and she is very specific about these details of growing up in this, as I said, very strange family situation where she was not educated, but she had to educate herself. But it was almost like in detail. And when I, every time I you know, finish a chapter, I'm thinking, how in the world could you recreate these memories of things that happened to you as a child? Because I may have scant thoughts, images, but you know, if I would try to, String them, to, you know, string them together coherently to tell a story. No way. I think my mother would. My mother would look at me and think, you know, <laughs> if that didn't happen. Do you think that people remember the pleasurable things and they sublimate or bury the super painful things? And because I don't remember a lot of really bad things from growing up, but I know I had them. I know I got bit by a big dog one time. And uh, and yet you are a dog lover extraordinaire. Well, I, I I got I fell off a horse at a camp, got a concussion. I do remember that. I remember being in the ambulance, going uh, to the hospital, 
at that night because I was throwing up and very sick. And, uh, you know, I know I've had a couple of things like that, but uh, I don't really remember those things as well as I do the good things. I think good. that's a way that people filter stuff out or absolutely absolutely yeah. self-preservation what are you gonna go all right where are we gonna go okay well you know me i can't i can't not if i'm just sitting here i, I, I no love idea. i love your music i don't stuff. i don't know you at all you're you're introducing <laughs> yourself to me love, for the first time uh-huh. every time we right. do this i love your music stuff but you know i'm always chomping at the bit to talk about politics propaganda <sighs> and profit so and on that note <laughs> Um, and I, I do want you to weigh in just because I do think it's interesting. Um, I think I say that about everything, that it's interesting. Because it is interesting. It's interesting that nobody talks about some of this stuff. Last week. Be my guest. Last week, the pharmaceutical industry trade press ran a huge story that was basically pretty much ignored by the media. Is this the vaccine? No, again? no, no, no. It's not vaccines. <laughs> okay. This is not vaccine. But I'm this is kidding. Pfizer. Okay. Pfizer They're paid. fighting for their life. Something's Pfizer, going on. Oh, yeah. But listen, so listen to me. And all the marketing. They're now the SEC marketer. You go down here to Rupp Arena. It's Southeastern Conference, not Securities yeah, Exchange. Not, no, they don't have a, they don't have a, they, they don't have a, 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 a sponsor. They're plastering their thing over, dying for you to go out and Get the damn vaccine yep. number five. Whatever. Come on, man. This is our this is our honey hole. And, and you know now. Oh, they have a new one. They have a new one. Yeah, now they're combining it with the flu, right. and you That's can right. do all the respiratory this. virus. They're doing yeah, the, the, whole it's the respiratory virus. All right, but but all right. I'm I'm not. I wouldn't even all go right, there. Go on, that's I fine. wasn't going there. They paid. All right, well, let me make me back up. Elon Musk paid. Do you remember what he paid for Twitter? Forty something billion dollars. Forty four billion dollars. People absolutely had a meltdown over the amount of money that Elon Musk paid for Twitter. Now X. Pfizer just paid an astounding forty three billion dollars for Segan. Uh sign S G E N. Guess what they do, Tom? They are a cancer drug maker that specializes in drugs designed to treat specifically resistant turbo cancers. Are you even kidding now, me? I, I want, I, let, let, me, let, me, let me impress upon you that this is the largest pharma acquisition of any kind in the last three years. And what should be most interesting is that Segan was only valued at $14 billion at most. I haven't followed that stock. I don't, I don't know. Right. No, I'm, I'm telling you this. I, you don't have to follow. I'm telling you what's gone on. Pfizer paid more than three times Segan's closing price per share. Just, I just didn't see that. let that percolate for a moment. And now, now what, I'll, what I'd like to uh, share with you, yeah, is that in another broadcast. Um, and by the way, I, I we actually talked about this. Was it last week or the week before that I said cancer is a growth market? And you said no pun intended, yeah. which I know that's not funny, but in truth, I said cancer was a growth market. So now we have. Pfizer CEO Albert, is it Burla? Do you say it Burla? No 
B-O-U-B-O-U-R-L-A, describing on a call to analysts, he describes Segan as buying the goose that lays the golden eggs, specifically, quote unquote. He says, I don't think Segan has been around for a while. We aren't acquiring the golden eggs. When did this acquisition happen? Last week. Well, it's looking like... Uh, okay. Oh, they they were held up forever in it's not uh, publicly traded anymore. I've never followed that company. I don't know anything about it. They, he said, not "quote unquote, we aren't acquiring the golden eggs. We are acquiring. We are buying the goose that lays the golden eggs." Okay. Business Wire quoted him explaining that. You know, he went on to talk about the fact that said very specifically to this group of analysts that a third of people will get cancer. Now, wait a minute. I, I'm not sure where he got that statistic. Right. But the quote that he had, which insinuated that he knew that a third of the people would get cancer, he said, cancer remains, quote unquote, cancer remains a leading cause of death. And one in three people in the U.S. will receive a cancer diagnosis in their lifetime. Okay, so what's the problem with Pfizer buying this company if it's got a cancer? If it well, that's can- that's interesting that you might suggest that. I mean, you know, who, who, you know, really, really lucrative business model would be to sell, say, a defective product maybe that was liability-free, right? A product that, that you know, might, might create maybe a problem once taken it, if you will, and then, you know, and, and oh my gosh, and then wouldn't it be interesting if they offered some basically expensive, Oh, so in patented, other words, give them cancer with one thing and then fix it with another? I, 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 that, that, would be, that would be something that would just be pure evil. But um, you, you ask, I mean, you ask the question, why in the world would you pay for a company three times what it's worth? Why, okay, why I'm not pay? seeing the three times part, but, uh, you know. Well, you know, and the interesting thing, if you go and, all right, so so just flip flip it around, flip the mirror around, and let's just let's just look at, you know, again, you know, not, not what I'm saying, not what, what anybody else is saying, but let's look at, because I actually took the time to look at the National Cancer Institute's webpage, yeah. and God only knows they'll probably take it down, but it basically... It was interesting. Before 2020, it suggested that cancer rates were stable and were not growing. Yeah. And that they were incre- that they were basically decreasing for many types of cancer including lung cancer, brain cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And now they're growing again. And now they're growing again. Interestingly, um I see the, where you're going. The last time that the NCI for some unexplained reason the last time that the NCI actually updated its cancer t- statistics when I was looking just the other day was basically in September of 2020. Right. And I don't think they've updated them since then. So, they, so it's yeah. interesting to, you know, what's gone on for the last three so years. So where are we going with this? I think I just told you. Let's do it again. Uh, well, Pfizer makes the vaccines that we now know had these um uh, tracers in them that were uh stray what was it uh kind of weird it's all kinds of stuff there was uh there was contaminants contaminants there's contaminants and that the that the mechanism cancer inside, rates have spiked right. we know that a lot of the doctors are now saying to people don't take uh don't don't take the vaccine if you're sick and now they're buying a company that treats uh resistant cancers 
to me, it sounds like a pretty good business plan. I mean, why would that, if I were in the business of selling drugs, wait, wait a minute. Now, I kind of noticed this about 30 years ago. When, when I was a young broker, you know, and studied, I, there was something about the pharmaceutical companies I couldn't get my arms around. And I started thinking about it, you know. I started thinking way back before that. Because before pharma and that those things were really big, a lot of medicine in North America was naturalistic medicine. It was homeopathic medicine. And then we decided, you know, no, we really need to have drugs. And then you began to look at these drugs and these drug companies and, and how big they are. And you think about, well, wait a minute, I've got a hammer Shouldn't I be looking for a nail? If I, the drug company, have a hammer in the form of this medicine, should I not be looking for a nail? And if there's not a nail to hit my hammer on, what if I created one? You know what I'm talking about? Sure, I understand. <laughs> you kind of went like that. No, I'm, I, uh, I understand. I mean, we, so the, we the are, thing is that you you got to ask yourself, what is the business model we, here? We, I'll tell you what ours is. What's up? Our business model is that Americans, and it's happened during my career, have put away an extraordinary amount of money for retirement, and somebody needs to help them manage it. A lot of people are going to do it themselves. A lot of people are going to have this and that, but we're going to get our fair share of people that would like to have somebody like that's our business model. If I'm in the business of being in the drug business, I need to ask myself, what is my business model? Well, a drug is something you're going to take that's outside your normal diet. In other words, it's going to give you some kind of, nourishment that you don't get in your regular food or your water or whatever it's some other thing for your body the drug is designed to fix a problem that your immune system can't quite overcome okay a lot of times when people get sick they just let it run its course and they get better this is a thing that the, we've decided the immune system can't fix this. So now we need a drug for it. So if we want to sell a lot of those drugs, we want a lot of people to have that problem. What if we had something that made the problem even worse? I'm just talking about in terms of a business plan. Wouldn't that be a good business plan? Is that what you're talking about, kind of? Are you talking about what I kind of started figuring out 30 years ago when I was studying the pharmaceutical companies as a younger broker? Well, I think Is that, that kind of what you're talking about? I think you're kind of seeing that, you know, uh, <laughs> a lot of people want to see this as, as a, because of, you know, if this, then that, if this, then that. If you really, if would it be too much to think that this was a well-laid plan to begin with? I, I mean, I sort of started concluding that 30 years ago. 
I've been studying these drug companies for a long time, and I finally decided, I, other than I've invested in some generics before, where the stuff goes off patent and they sell it for a lot cheaper because that's that's a different business model. But I finally began to realize these people are looking for a problem to happen so they can sell a really expensive remedy. And when do you cross over to being a part of the problem rather than a solution to it? Because you know you have something that can be sold to fix the quote problem. Ah, let me tell you, it's a lot of power. I don't know if I'd want to have that much power. Would you? Well, I don't think I would. Western civilization. I think that there is very there's a dark side to uh, you know is it a healthcare system or is it a disease management system? Listen, I'm very invested in being a Westerner. I'm I, I, even though I go to an Eastern church, I'm always going to be Western and I will never not be that. But what you're saying is that Eastern medicine is, is a different kind. A lot of people get acupuncture. They do things. They don't take a lot of drugs, but the drug business has kind of taken over. There's some sobering statistics on the amount of how much Americans are reliant on pharmacological intervention. Let me tell you something. I could do a whole show on that from personal experience. Hmm. Today, I'm drug-free and have been for a while. I don't Ph- take pharmaceutical any- drug-free, not yeah. recreational <laughs> drug-free. <laughs> oh, you saying I'm back here hitting a bong in between the freaking show? I don't do that stuff either. Good God. Lord, what what is your problem today? She's looking for some clarification. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. I, I'm, Always here I'm, to clarify. I am, I am drug-free. Every now and then I have a glass of wine. I'll have a, drink, a sip of bourbon. Oh, dear I Lord. do smoke a cigar every now and then. I guess you could call that a drug. But the, uh. the, the point is, listen, I'm going to tell you something. Yeah, can you cue that music? Today, I, I'm a free man. Let me tell you. But I had to earn it. It, it. it was not easy. I understand some of these things. A few things. Personal experience is the best teacher. You are listening to the Tom Dupree Show. Missy Clifton in this hour. Coming up is a financial hour. You don't want to miss it. This is the Tom Dupree Show, powered by Dupree Financial Group. We'll be back in just a few minutes. <laughs> 